I'm Rachel from Renovate, a ministry at Christ Chapel for young adults in Fort Worth, Texas. On today's podcast, Ben is talking about how we can see the workplace as our mission field. It's an intro to how the gospel should change our culture. Hope you enjoy. Praise God. Okay. Um, again, if you walked in late, we're glad you're here. We are. We're glad you're here. I'm excited for what God's going to do. Tonight is going to be um, a good night. I think I say that every week, though. Um, I'm serious. Uh, tonight's going to be fun. Tonight, uh, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 20. And this is a passage that uh, has really become our life verse for our ministry really here. Uh, This has become kind of the the vision verse for what we want Renovate this ministry to be. And so as good leaders, we try, I try to make sure we preach this and go over this and talk about this um, at least once a year. Uh, And if we're really good leaders, twice a year. We try to get it once in the spring and once in the fall. And so tonight is a night that um, I think especially if you're kind of kicking the tires and and maybe if you've been plugged in for a long time, great. I hope that this is this refreshing challenge and a reminder as as vision leaks to remind us of, man, what are we doing? Because we are so prone to to turn the things of God into programs or we're so prone to turn our relationship with God into kind of a formula. And so, man, I hope it's a reminder. But if if you're new uh, or newer, um, then I think this is a cool night for you to be a part of because um, I'm going to unpack Second uh, Corinthians 5 a little bit at the beginning. We're going to talk about uh, a few things of what our posture shouldn't look like, a few things of what our posture should look like in, in the city we live in and in the culture and in the mission that we're called to uh, as Christians, but, but specifically as this ministry. And then we're going to talk a little bit more about Second Corinthians 5. And, and we're going to talk a little bit about what this next season specifically of ministry around here is going to look like and ways for you to actually put into practice what we're talking about. So that's where I'm going. So Second Corinthians 5, 17 through 20. Uh, Paul says this. Verse 17, he says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. I'm gonna unpack this a little bit more at the end of our time, but what I want us to hold on to and what I want us to launch into this time thinking about and specifically even as we talk about, man, what is this ministry um, and what is our lives supposed to be about? We are called, if you are a follower of Christ in this room, then you are called to be an ambassador of Christ. Uh, To be a follower of Christ is not a transactional thing where you pray a prayer and then you get grace or you get a ticket to heaven or you get this neat thing that then becomes about you and he becomes uh, an attachment or, or an accessory in your life or a blessing in your life. He is a blessing. Uh, there, there is life change. But what happens when we follow Christ is we sign up for something. To follow him is to sign up to be an ambassador representing him with a ministry. 
a ministry of reconciliation as we have been reconciled and then given to us this ministry of reconciliation so that we might bring him glory in the context and the culture around us. It's what we believe here. It's what we want this ministry, Renovate, to be about. It's what the church should be about. Uh, It's what any gathering of followers of Christ should be about to say, man, can we remind ourselves of the gospel, but also can we go out and love the way we have been first loved? Uh, I don't know... Um, I don't know that we do a great job of that it, universally as, as the church. I think there's a lot of things, and, and maybe it's just because I'm a perfectionist, there's a lot of things about the church. And even if I just pick on myself and my own life that I think, man, I think I, I, think I come up really short in this. Uh, I think there's a lot of area of improvement for this. And so we're going to talk about that. Uh, I think there is a reason why. Um, I think there's several reasons why. I think part of it is we live in a culture that has darkened hearts. We see that in scripture. Um, But I think also uh, what I want to do for at least a little bit tonight is be honest with ourselves. For those who are Christians in this room and those who desire to be ambassadors of Christ and represent Jesus, to be really honest that, um, and there are times where our witness is really bad. Um, Our witness is, is really bad to the world around us. And I think one of the reasons that sometimes at least me in in my life and in my witness, I I lack effectiveness um, is because I think people see the hypocrisy. And I think a lot of times they see the church and they think, man, you guys are full of crap, right? Because they look at our action and they look at our life. Uh, I'm going to tell you a story and I want this image to sear in your mind to remember remember this idea. Uh, I'm also just going to tell you a story because I love you guys and I like telling you stories. But um, I used to, uh, back when I was the college pastor, uh, there, a, lot of, a lot of us spent a lot of time with a ministry called The Net, which is an incredible ministry. If you ever get an opportunity to be around them or, or serve alongside them, they are stepping into the city of Fort Worth. Specifically, uh, we were partnered in a way where we were spending a lot of time with homeless brothers and sisters in this city and just loving them and just showing them dignity and just becoming friends and building relationships with, with a lot of really sweet homeless friends of ours. And there was this couple uh, that I had become really good friends with. My wife and I both had uh, John and Megan. And uh, John and Megan were a sweet couple. They had, uh, they had started dating. They had met at a, in the shelters and they had started dating and uh, they got engaged. And I was actually supposed to be the best man in the wedding, guess, uh, which was a pretty big honor. Uh, the wedding didn't happen and I'll get to why here in a second. Um, but it was this really cool thing. It's like, oh, that's great. And, and John was all about Megan. I mean, he was, he was all about Megan. Megan, a little less so about John. Uh, I think she enjoyed the idea of an engagement. Uh, she enjoyed the idea of an engagement party that we kind of threw for her. I think the idea of lifelong commitment to John maybe scared her a little bit. Uh, and so one of the things that happened is about to take a sharp left turn is we got notified uh, that Megan died. A gasp is the appropriate response. I appreciate that gasp, right? Uh, that's what I did. I gasped, guys. I thought, oh no, Megan's dead, right? And that's horrible. Uh, this is awful. What a bad thing. And so we're all eating bagels one Friday morning and th- we get the news and Megan's dead. So we put prayer requests and we're praying for her and we're weeping and we're grieving. And then um, like about a week or so later, I get a phone call and it's from Megan's cell phone. I was like, ah, oh, cool. Somebody's got Megan's cell phone. I answer it. And the person who, who picked up the other end, I, I said, my, my part was hello. And their part, they said, hello. Here's who it was. <clears throat> the person on the other end claimed to be a woman named Priscilla. And Priscilla claimed to be the identical twin sister to Megan 
who was her identical twin who has lived in Alabama her whole life. Um, and I had never heard of this person. And I have been friends with Megan for a long time. And I have heard a lot of stories about Megan, right? A lot of stories about her life and her family. And she has never mentioned an identical twin sister from Alabama, right? And, and this, this Priscilla, she talked like a cartoon character out of Gone with the Wind, Right, like the way she talked was, she was like, "Hi, my name's Priscilla, and I'm just uh, I'm I'm Megan's identical twin sister, and I found her phone, and I know she's passed away, but she wanted to reach out to me, and so I'm like, what's happening? Right, like, what is this? And she is she is telling me that like she is now in town, and so I might be seeing her around some, uh, and she also happens to get Megan's shoes. She wanted me to know that she is now wearing dead Megan's shoes, so if I see her around Lancaster walking up and down the street, she'll know, I'll know, that's Priscilla, the Alabama identical twin sister that I've never heard mentioned from Megan. No joke, this really happened. So, being the cunning fella that I am, I said, I said, oh man, Priscilla, so good to meet you. Were you, and I was like, are you close with Megan? Oh, we're so close. And I was like, that's weird. Okay, cool. And then I said, man, it's just so sad about Megan. I just, it's sad too, because I, I, I got a present for her. It was, I got her a really cool present and now I'm never going to be able to give it to her. <laughs> Long pause. <clears throat> then Priscilla, Priscilla said, well, well, what, what is it? I was like, no, and then this is, I had thought of this on the spot. I thought, I said, no, no, you wouldn't understand. It's kind of like an inside personal thing that, that you wouldn't understand, right? So I, I couldn't really tell you. No, no, you can, you can tell me. No, no, you wouldn't get it. It was really kind of between Megan and I. Well, she told me lots of things. So I probably, no, no, I really, it, it was just for Megan and I'll just never be able to give it to her because it was for her. No, no. And then she went this, this is how far Priscilla went. Priscilla said, well, if you want to talk to Megan, sometimes I can summon her and she can talk through me. <laughs> to which case I said, I'll see you Friday, Megan, and hung up, right? She thinks she's going to pull the fake death identical twin sister trick on me? That is the oldest trick in the book. I'm not falling for the identical Alabama twin sister of the dead girl trick, right? Here is... Um, Megan's good, by the way, for all you who gasped at the beginning and thought I was a little irreverently talking about her death. She's good. We're Facebook friends. She's doing great. Um, he, uh, here is, here is, <laughs> here's why I tell that, right? Here's the point of that, somewhere in this. Um, and this is going to be a stretch, but just stay with me, guys. <clears throat> yeah, no, it's going to be a stretch, but I'm, I'm, I'm going there. <clears throat> I, I honestly, I think so often our culture looks at us and they see us as so two-faced, right? When, when we try to engage our culture so often, man, and I say this out of love, and I say this out of my own self-conviction, I say this out of not just a desire to beat us up as, as Christians, but as a desire to say, man, how do we improve and look honestly at ourselves? I think our culture sees us and says, you guys are ridiculously fake. You are ridiculously fake, and you say one thing, and you pretend to be this, and there's no way. We're not buying that. And I think so often that is what our culture sees, and we laugh at it, and we think of that, and we think that is the most ridiculous thing ever, and yet I really believe so often when I, when I walk with friends and, and I hang out with friends who don't want to have anything to do with Christianity, that's, that's what they see so often in us. And so when I see a command in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 to be an ambassador of Christ— and I see a command in the scripture for us 
to go and represent Jesus in a certain way. And, and I think, man, why are we whiffing so hard? Because they see through us. And so often they see our hypocrisy and that slows them down. Um, we're missing an opportunity for the world around us. Uh, we're missing an opportunity for the world around us. Josh talked about this last week. Um, what we have to offer is Jesus. And what Jesus has to offer is life and life abundantly. Right? We're not signing people up for religion. We're not signing people up for Christian ministry. We're signing people up for Jesus who offers life and life abundant. And that's what we get to offer. And that's what we are encouraged to be ambassadors for in the world around us. Um, our world is searching for life and life abundantly. I, mean, I, I think you are intuitive enough to know and perceive how hungry the world around us is for meaning and purpose and those who are without Christ. The church, we are still hungry and starving for more of that, struggling to represent, trying Go do this out of some obligation as opposed to a place where we are experiencing Jesus and life and life abundantly is happening in our life. Um, I want us to talk briefly about three um, postures that I think are, are not evil, but they're things that I want us to be cautious about, uh, about ways that we approach uh, the culture around us. The first one is our desire to convert our culture. Um, I think one of the traps we run into is, is we, as Christians so often, for those of you who are Christians in here, we fall into this trap of thinking, man, we need to convert the culture around us. And here's one of the ways that that plays out. It plays out by us compromising. It plays out by us compromising in this battle that we call the culture wars. Um, it, it plays out in us, I think, losing sight of the kingdom of God and in our context, turning America into the kingdom. And I think somewhere along the way, in the last couple of generations, we fall into this idea of thinking, man, our culture needs to be won over by us. And so we will compromise whatever it takes, even politically, to ensure that our culture doesn't dwindle in the Christian right, if that makes sense. And so one of the things that happens over and over again is we see this compromise. We see this uh, desire to convert the world around us because our hope is that Somehow the kingdom is America and we need to represent political parties that are going to be the savior of that as opposed to the kingdom being God's kingdom and Jesus being our savior. Uh, Jesus uh, ran into this. So Jesus, when he shows up 2,000 years ago, he shows up in an occupied country. He shows up in a country that is occupied by Rome. And one of the huge pressures on him early on was people trying to figure out this is the Messiah. This is the Savior. He must be here to overthrow Rome. He must be here to overthrow Rome and, and to, to become the new Caesar, right? To become the new Caesar. In fact, uh, this concept of the gospel and the good news of the gospel, uh, it was a play on something that the Roman Empire did. The Roman Empire, when they conquered a town, they would show up and they would say, hey, good news. Hey, we've got good news. Rome is here right? The gospel, the good news of Rome is how they would, because Rome was such a menacing force, they would sweep through towns and communities and countries, and they would send someone ahead that would say, hey, good news. Rome is now here. 
So the way you've been living in your ordinary life, no longer you now become under the umbrella of Rome. If they push back, they would be crushed. But if they submitted, then they would become part of Rome and they would pay taxes and submit and worship Caesar as their uh, Lord. And so it became this play on this term of the gospel of then when Jesus shows, it's the gospel of Jesus. Hey, good news, right? Good news, we would run ahead and say, good news, Jesus is here. He is the real Messiah. It was a, it was a middle finger to the Roman Empire. And so you had an entire generation of people that said, man, is Jesus here to overthrow our political powers? Make no mistake. Our God will overthrow political powers. Our Jesus will be king, who we will serve and we will worship and we will obey in this earth, in a new heaven, in a new earth, right? That's what we're signing up for. But there is this already not yet where the world we live in is not that. And people constantly put that pressure on them. They ask him, hey, should we pay taxes? If you're going to overthrow Rome, isn't Rome the bad guy? And he says, man, whose face is on that? It's Caesar. Okay, then pay unto Caesar what is Caesar. Because he came to establish a spiritual kingdom then, which then one day, uh, one day we get in this reality as well. Uh, so, so I think one of the things about this that happens so often when we have this desire to convert and we have this desire to, man, we, we've got to change everyone's mind and we need to win over the culture wars at all costs and we'll make these massive compromises on what is right and what is good because we don't want to slip into irrelevancy because we don't want the church and, and it becomes this, this thing where we don't want the church to be um, oppressed in certain ways in our culture. Um, it becomes really dangerous. I think there's something really, really incredible though about that posture and that's this. I don't think it's all bad. I don't think it's all this evil thing. I think there is a position there when we feel that tug. It's man, we gotta convert. This is a culture war. We've gotta win over this culture by any means necessary. Here's the thing that I would want us to hold on to and the thing that I would be proud of brothers and sisters that push forward is I think there's a desire for revival there. I think at times it can be misplaced. I think it can, at times it can drift, but I think there's a desire for radical revival. I, I think there's a hope there, and I think there's a courageousness there that I want to talk about here in a second. But I also think it's something that we have to be careful for. Another uh, posture that I think is something that we've got to watch out for is that we condemn our culture, uh, right? That we become a people who look at the culture around us, we see the world around us, and we decide, man, we, we can't, right? It would be swinging the other way. So if I can't win over the culture, I'm just gonna totally withdraw from culture. Okay, so I'm just not gonna vote because nobody's good enough to be voted for. Or, or I'm just not going to participate in our culture at all because it's sinful and lost. Uh, the Essenes were a group in Jesus's day that did this, right? They withdrew out into the desert because they just didn't wanna have anything to do with those who were ungodly. And I think there's part of us that have that mindset. We'll create our own Christian subculture. We'll create our own Christian subculture. We'll have our own Christian music, right, that we can listen to, which will kind of be like normal music, but not as good, right? <laughs> we'll have our own Christian movies, right? But instead of like Ryan Gosling, we'll have Kirk Cameron. <laughs> right, so we create these subcultures where we can just remove ourselves, and we, we only gather with other Christians, Right? And we only find ourselves in communities of other Christians because we don't engage the world. We don't even try to make a dent in the culture around us. And so we remove ourselves. We withdraw from politics. We withdraw from culture. Uh, we withdraw from the world around us. I think there is a desire there, though, to, to pick on 
that tendency. I, I think there's also uh, a compliment there that there is a desire to be holy. There's a desire to say, man, I want to be holy as God is holy, and I don't want to get caught up in, in what is not honoring to God. And so I think it's easy to pick on, but I think there is a, a neat desire there, and we're going to talk about that in just a second. Third thing is this. <clears throat> we want to maybe consume our culture. So maybe we say, okay, I don't really struggle with this drastic desire to be this culture warrior and convert, and I feel pretty solid there. Maybe we say, man, I'm not withdrawing. Maybe we say, okay, we're going to consume our culture. And here's what happens when we do that. Um, we, we, I think from a very good place, say, okay, I want to contextualize who Jesus is. Um, I want to meet people where they're at, right? I want to become relevant as a believer, or engage in relevancy as a believer. And I think it comes from a really, really great place. The caution in this is that we go so far that we are losing sight of the gospel. We're losing sight of who Jesus is and our consuming of culture has just become compromised the other way. Um, Chandler, Matt Chandler wrote a book called Take Heart, I think. It's got a picture of a lion on it. I don't remember the name. I think it's Take Heart. I read it this weekend. It's a great book specifically on this uh, concept of how do we engage our culture well uh, and courageously. And he says this. He says, but the problem, and I think it's kind of in reference to this idea of, of when we start to consume our culture. He says this. He says, but the problem comes when we start to put too great a focus on culture to the neglect of the gospel. And that even goes for social justice. What happens is we start to want the implications of the gospel more than we want the actual gospel. We start to want the implications of the gospel more than we want the gospel. We should want the implications of the gospel, right? The implications of the gospel are, man, that there's dignity given to the homeless communities around here. Right? The implications of the gospel is that there is major strides in, in racism being eradicated because it's from Satan and it is not of Christ. Right? There's the, the social implications of what the gospel and how it should play out are, are infinite. We should want those. We should desire those. We should pursue those. We will talk about that. This ministry is about that. Renovate Project as a Sunday night ministry here is going to be all about how can we tangibly step into needs of our city and needs of the people that you are walking with in ways that are tangible to represent Christ well here. How can we do that and be ambassadors? But if we lose sight of who Jesus is in that, and if now we're doing it simply for the effect and the implication, and it's detached from Jesus Christ, and it becomes, well, we're doing good for the sake of doing good, then that's where all of a sudden we start to, start to stray too far. I don't just want to uh, approach um, these postures to avoid. I, I want us to approach a posture to emulate. <clears throat> um, here's what it looks like, right? Here's what this looks like. Here's what this ambassadorship should look like. Jesus, right? Josh talked about it. And if you didn't hear Josh's sermon from last week, I really encourage you to, to look at that, to go back and listen to it on our podcast. Uh, Jesus did this so well and, and Josh pointed out this story of Jesus and Zacchaeus and how Jesus engaged uh, this person who the world around him would have said, man, that's crazy and that guy's a bad guy. And, and, and Jesus showed hospitality and stepped into his world without compromising his holiness or who he was or truth. Uh, the epistles do it, right? The epistles are all these letters written in the, the back of our Bible in the New Testament, uh, Galatians and Ephesians and Philippians and Thessalonians and, and all these books that are written to groups of Christians 
who are in these cities filled with people who are against them in certain cases. People who are apathetic towards them or in most cases against them. And it's these letters of encouragement. This entire book cries to a people who should be set apart. Cries and directs and instructs us to be people who are set apart whether it's the model of Jesus, whether it's reading through the epistles, whether it's looking at the prophets, right? The Old Testament prophets who stepped into radical, radical uh, communities that were, were far from Christ, their own communities, and spoke truth into them. It's modeled throughout. So I want to highlight three things um, of, of what the opposite posture should look like. And I, I think these are going to resonate. I think they should stick. And the first one's love, right? Like we should be loving. When we talk about what is the posture that we should have to be ambassadors, it should be loving. And they will know us by our love, right? And they will know how we love each other by how we lay our life down. Um, love, as we define it biblically, is not a feeling. It's not like. Love is, is probably most clearly defined throughout Scripture consistently as sacrifice. And so, for us to say, how do we love the culture around us? If the posture should be love, then what we should be hearing when we look through the New Testament and the Old Testament is that love should have sacrifice. I tell my boys, I got two boys, a five and a half year old and a two and a half year old. I tell them I love them all the time. I tell them a bunch. On a random Saturday, babe, how many times on a day that I'm actually with them would, we, would you say that I tell them I love them? All day long, right? So at least four times, right? Um, <laughs> right? I, I do. I, I'm that guy. I'm a words of affirmation guy, right? Like I, and so I'm, I throw that out, out there a lot. And I mean it, right? I mean that. I want them to know that. I want them to hear those words, right? I, I tell you guys that. I tell my friends that. I tell people that I love that I love them, right? But that doesn't mean anything if it's not attached to action. In fact, if I tell my boys I love them all day long, that that is putting me on the hook to represent what that means, right? When we tell each other, we should tell each other we love each other, but then we have to back that up to say, man, we're on the hook. We're now accountable to how are we representing that? How are we sacrificing? I want, man, I want to live my life as a dad on this planet in a way that sacrifices for my sons, by God's grace, by his strength, I want to be a dad who constantly sacrifices for his boys. Whatever that looks like. I don't want to enable them. I don't want to buy them everything they want. I don't want to spoil them. But I want to sacrifice. I tell them all the time because when I look at them, I think, man, I love them. I want to live it. I want to wake up early and serve them. I want to work hard and provide for them. I want to be wise. I want to discipline them well. I want to give them my kidney if I need to, right? I want to take a bullet for them. I want to teach them. I want to sweat and lose sleep and bleed and serve my boys so that that word that I've attached to loving them, and I am so imperfect. I'm really imperfect. And there's a lot of times where I'd much rather let my kids watch YouTube than actually engage with them. And YouTube sucks, guys. My kids are addicted. This is a rabbit trail. My kids are addicted to watching these stupid shows on YouTube with like people unboxing toys. And it's so awful. And at the selfish laziness is like, man, I could really like 
bond with my boys and we could go do like a popsicle stick house craft with like homemade glue that we make, you know, and carve our initials and memorize scripture together. Or man, I could put on some, I could put on some YouTube with that weird creepy guy with hairy hands who's unpacking toys. (laughs) And I'm going to be honest, there's a lot of times where I'm like, YouTube it is. I say that because I, I'm, a, I'm an imperfect father, right? And I, but I want to sacrifice more. I want them to know and be defined by that. And I need the Holy Spirit's strength. I need God's grace to do that, right? We need that for the world around us, that we would love the way Jesus loves, that our posture would be one of sacrifice. Who is in your life that you want to know and see Jesus? Who is in your life that you that the Holy Spirit, I would say, pokes you and says, man, this person has been in your heart for a while. This coworker, would you have eyes to see and a heart to see those around us who don't have life and life abundantly in Christ? Who are those people? And then say, man, how can I sacrifice for them the way that has been sacrificed for me through Jesus Christ? Love should be defining, right? That is not new to us. Love, love, love that. We hear that over and over again. But what does that look like? How are we gonna play that out in our life sacrifice. What are those ways? The second thing is courage. Love is the first. The second thing is courage. Um, We see that perfect love casts out fear, right? We see that in 1 John chapter 4, that this perfect love of Christ casts out fear. And so one of the defining things of how we should grow as ambassadors is not just to be ambassadors who are loving to the world around us without compromising, but loving, uh, but also to be people who are courageous, courageous and not afraid of rejection, not afraid of our, our feelings getting hurt, not afraid of uh, somebody denying us, um, not afraid of persecution. I, I, would, I would also say not afraid of sin. I think so often one of the things that happens is uh, we get paralyzed by other people's sin for some reason. Those who have been in the church for a long time, and maybe those who've kind of swung to the place where they spend a lot of time around other Christians, and we've got our own language, and we've got our own movies, and we've got our own kind of culture here, and that's great because I think it pushes us in certain ways towards looking more like Christ, but then there's, there's times where we see other people's sins, and we gasp as if our sins didn't need as much redeeming, that Jesus didn't need as much for reconciliation of us, that maybe we weren't as far gone because we grew up in a Christian home and maybe we've learned some morality along the way and I think that becomes really dangerous and toxic and that courage doesn't look like Christ. A lack of courage ends up looking like, it looks like homophobia, right? And this is something that's just been on my heart recently because of some situations that I've sadly had to walk through with people. But man, if if you are homophobic, and you're trying to represent Christ in the culture. I love you, but you are wrong, right? You're wrong. If you are unable to see past someone else's sin, somebody else's blind spots, and love them the way Christ has seen past your blind spots, then I love that you're here, but you are wrong. And that's something that needs to be repented from. There's so many areas like that, that we look at others and we see their sin. And I think so often, there's a lack of courage in us and there's a lack of perspective to be able to see clearly. Look at what happens. First Peter 3, 13 through 16. We'll throw it up on the screen if that's easier for you. Peter says this, and it's this really cool picture, I think, to help prepare us to be um, these ambassadors. He says this. 
Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Man, First Peter does such a good job of unpacking what it looks like for believers to live in the midst of a culture that doesn't accept their savior, but how we still function in that, in that place. Uh, and I think this section, maybe you've heard this before and you could do a whole sermon series just from these verses, uh, but I just wanna highlight this idea of, man, are we living in a way where we're courageous that we will get persecuted? We will, there, our lives should be set apart in some ways and there will be some rejection that we can take heart, that we can continue to love the way we're called to, not lose sight of that. But then you know what the most convicting thing about this for me is? I think the most convicting thing about this passage to me is this idea, be prepared to give an answer for the hope that's within you. I think we hear that verse I think maybe one of the ways we might go is, man, I need to be ready to give an answer, which, yes, we should. I need to give, be ready to give this answer of who Jesus is and how he's impacted my life, yes. I need to be give, ready to give an answer if they've got doubts of why they don't believe. I should, yes, all of those things, yes, all of those things, yes. Here's what's convicting about my life in that verse. I don't know how many people are asking me. Be prepared to give an answer when people come to me and ask me about the hope that's within me. Are you living your life in a way where people come up to you and say, what the hell is that life you're living? Right, people don't understand the life you're living. People look at your life and they say, I don't understand that. I need you to give me an answer. And when I read this, I think, yes, I wanna be prepared to talk about Jesus and I wanna be prepared to walk people towards Jesus. But I think what's convicting about that is, am I living my life in a way where people come up and say, how are you living your life? This doesn't make sense. The joy you have, the peace you have, the way you sacrifice for people who don't deserve it. I don't understand that. Are we living our life in that kind of way for the culture around us? If you are a college student, are you living on your college campus in a way where other college students around you see your life and say, that doesn't make sense? That doesn't make sense for the world around you. If you are a young professional living in your workplace or in your apartment complex or in the dating culture that is so toxic, living your life in a different way where people say, why? Why do you do that? Why do you live that way? Why do you choose that? And that takes courage. That takes courage. And that courage comes from the God who has gone before us and the God who has paved way and the God who has already won the victory. Here's the last piece of our posture that I want to encourage us with tonight. I want you to hear love. I want you to hear courage. But I also want you to hear holiness. First Peter, just a page over from that. First Peter chapter, uh, chapter 1, verses 14. He says this. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who, has, he who called you is holy... You also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. <clears throat> We're called to be holy, guys. We're called to live a life that's set apart. We're called to live a life that people should ask questions about. We're called to sacrifice and love and step into relationships courageously because we, are, we trust Jesus 
more than our fear of the world. But we're also called to be set apart and called to look like Jesus and called to not just consume the culture and to not compromise, but to be holy as Jesus is holy. That's hard. That's not legalism. That's not doing good for the sake of doing good. It's responding to a holy God who has loved us by saying, man, my God loves me as I am. He is perfect and now he has called me with his full love and full support to walk as he walked. To do that, you've got to walk in community with other people who are desiring to do that. But then as a community of people trying to live out holiness, go into the culture. Engage the world around you. Be ambassadors to those around us. Man, what happens if the world sees this? What happens if the world sees a community of people who love sacrificially, who are courageous, who are not afraid of their sin, who show up in their world, who show up on their doorsteps, who are not afraid of rejection, not because rejection's easy, but because we have something better, and walk with a holiness, not a self-righteousness, not a judgmental spirit, but a holiness as a response to how we're already loved by the God of the universe. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 20. I said I would end on it as well. If any one is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. If you're a believer in this room, the old has passed away, the new has come. You are a new creation. I don't know what kind of shame you're walking in. I don't know what kind of misplaced guilt you're trying to keep with you. If you are a new creation, the old has gone, the new has come. We get to walk in freedom as new creations. All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against us, but entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So as a new believer, we now have a mission. You have a mission to bring about this ministry of reconciliation to the world around you. Therefore, be ambassadors of Christ, God making his appeal through you. Man, real practically, here's where we're going um, as a ministry, just the next several months. Um, we want to walk with you through this. And this is who we want to be, right? This is who we desire to be. So we, we preach this sermon. We talk about 2 Corinthians 5 a lot. Hopefully we never grow tired of, tired of it. Um, but we want to be people who engage our city well. But to do that, you've got to be walking in community. If you're not in community, man, come and find us. Let us get you in a group of other people who are trying to not only walk out holiness, what it looks like to respond to the grace of God with obedience, but also take that into the world around us. If you are not a new creation, if you have not felt the self-renewal of who Jesus is, then come, let us walk with you through that. If maybe you have felt that, but you have wandered, let us walk with you, man. Come, let us pray with you. Reach out to us. Our lives are to be poured out to serve and to love you, sacrifice for you. So we might show you what that looks like and then for us to engage the world around us. Um, and come and let us pray with you. Get in a home group for community and, and come and partner with us as we desire to reach this city for Christ. Then renovate project. And it's not about programs at all, but man, if you don't know where to start, man, come and join us on Sunday night. This is what we're going to talk about every week is how do we do this? How do we engage? And practically what's that look like in our life? And then we go and do, 
And we go and do, and we gather together, and then we go and launch, because we're not just commanded to come and talk about it and talk about it and pray about it and talk about it. We're called to then go be sent out and do. That's my hope. That's my heart. Um, Here's what this is going to look like for the next couple of weeks. Um, I want you to use this ministry as your tool to do what you will be held accountable for. So whatever that looks like for you, whether that's you need some personal growth, great, then use this ministry to let us walk with you for that personal growth. If you need community, great, use this ministry for that end. Um, But use this ministry also to invite other people in so that they might hear the gospel. Uh, Next week, we're doing this thing called Worship in the Round. Uh, We do it about once a year, maybe twice a year. um, And and it's gonna feel a little different. Um, It's one of my favorite things that we do, but when you walk into this room next week and if you invite friends, you invite guests, it's gonna be really different. There's gonna be a cross in the middle of the floor. There's gonna be no chairs and everyone kind of is gonna gather around and we're just gonna worship Jesus through song all night. Uh, We're just gonna worship Jesus and make much of Jesus. Somebody who doesn't know Jesus is gonna walk into that and they're gonna be like, man, what in the world's going on? Right, you invite some, just be aware, man. If you're inviting people, then great, keep inviting them. But also know unapologetically, man, this thing is about Jesus. This thing is about Jesus. And so that's what next week is gonna be. And then after that, I wanna encourage you to, man, jump in deep with us. We're gonna do two series for the rest of, uh, through up until the summer, up until July. We're gonna do two series in here from this pulpit. One of them is going to be how the gospel is an antidote for all different things in our life. So it's gonna be a very topical series where invite people who are struggling. Follow us, figure out what we're talking about, whether it's an antidote for depression, an antidote for loneliness, an antidote for feeling insufficient, whatever that looks like, the gospel is an antidote for that, for for ourselves and the world around us. Um, And and so praise God. So we're doing that strategically to say, man, are we reminded, but then also invite other people so they might experience that. And then the other series we're doing is this. We're starting this in two weeks. We're gonna step into the minor prophets. The minor prophets are these kind of obscure books at the back of the Old Testament that I think honestly are a lot of times intimidating and we kind of skim past them and we don't know what's going on. And we're going to step into them because we think our culture needs to hear. We think they're relevant. I think they're remarkably relevant because there are people, there are prophets calling those who have wandered to come home. I want you to know those details. I want you to know the logistics of this ministry because this thing isn't ours. It is yours. This is your ministry. This is your calling in your life. And so whatever ways we can equip you, that's what this sermon's about. This is that once a year sermon to say, get off of the bench and get in the game. We are here to help you, whatever that looks like, but you've got to reach out and say, hey, I need personal prayer because I'm wrestling with shame. I need community because I'm unplugged. Uh, I need to figure out how to be more of a witness in in the world around me. Whatever that looks like, let us know. We want to walk with you. And we want to equip you in this. You are not alone. You are loved by the God of the universe who will equip you. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for loving us the way you do. Um, Thank you for being a God who, um, despite ourselves, has drawn near to us. Uh, Despite our own sin, Lord, uh, you stepped into our brokenness. Uh, You stepped into our brokenness and um, sent Jesus And so now we get to proclaim the gospel, this good news that Jesus has come and he has died and he has risen again and now he is next to you, the Father, interceding for us. And so, Lord, we get to take our shame and we get to take our fear and we get to take uh, all that binds us and we get to lay it at your feet. And we're not just laying at the feet of this big God who's in heaven that's detached. We're laying at the feet of our Father. And Lord, thank you for that. 
would our action, God, would the way we approach our lives and our mission and ministry, Lord, would it come from a response to how you have loved us as a father who has modeled what love looks like, God. You have sacrificed. You have told us you love us, but then you have shown us with your only begotten son hanging on a cross for our sins. Would we run towards you and the grace that you offer? Would those who are far be brought near? And for those of us who are near, Lord, would you teach us what it means to be sent out for your glory in the name of Jesus, amen. 2 Corinthians 5.19 talks about the ministry of reconciliation we are called to be involved in. At my job, it's easy to get caught up in break room gossip or complain about the workload. However, with this ministry of reconciliation, I'm called not to count others' wrongs against them, but love them as God loves me. If you're in Texas near Fort Worth, we'd love to meet you in person. Renovate is on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m., and we serve free dinner for those who show up 45 minutes early to hang out with us. Next Wednesday, we're having a special night of music that we call Worship in the Round, so there won't be a teaching podcast next week, but we'd love to have you join us if you can. For more updates from Renovate, join us online at renovateftw.org or follow us on social media at renovateftw. Thanks for listening.